Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Slayer Podcast. We are going to go to Missouri on a cattle ranch for a very old and unsuspecting serial killer couple. Guys, when the police arrested this couple, the wife was 69 and the husband was 76. Before I get started, I just want to thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and if you haven't already, you've got to go check out Storytime Slayer on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. TikTok has some funny content also. It's not. It's actually not even really crime related, but definitely for more stories, pictures, videos, and things that coincide with these episodes, give Storytime Slayer on Facebook a like and a follow, and that's going to be story underscore time underscore slayer on Instagram. With that, please check out my merch store. There's going to be a good summer drop coming up soon. I'm very excited, and let's get started. Today we are going to Chillicothe, Missouri. I think I said that right. It is a farming community, y'all. A lot of cattle farming is here and a lot of cattle in other livestock auctions. So a lot of people are in and out of this town to buy and sell farm animals. And a lot of drifters actually work as farmhands in this area. So there's several missions in town for the homeless and transient community it's a hot spot. They'll go work on ranches, farms for a while before they go on to the next place. Right outside of this town is a town called Mooresville. And in Mooresville lived an elderly couple, Ray and Faye Copeland. They were quiet. They didn't cause a disturbance. Just kept to themselves, simple country people. Ray was born in 1914. And there's not a whole lot I could find about his childhood known other than they were rather nomadic. They traveled a lot. Ray was actually born in Oklahoma, but traveled with his family from place to place to look for work. I believe they did agricultural-based work, typically. Stealing farm animals is something that Ray started doing at a really young age because he realized livestock ownership can be rather hard to prove. You can easily steal and then quickly resell or butcher an animal before anybody can catch up with you. It's it's harder to prove. That is in the short run, though. They do eventually catch up with Ray for, you know, writing hot checks and stealing livestock and things like that. And he served several short stints in jail many, 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 many times for theft and check forgery. In 1940, Ray meets Faye. <laughs> Ray and Faye. Faye was born in 1921 in Arkansas, which makes Ray seven years older than her. Now, she too is from a really poor family. I want to say Faye was 20 and Ray was like around 28 when they met. The couple got married after only six months of courtship, but they will go on to live a long marriage and have five children. So they had their first son within their first year of marriage and his name's Everett Roy. Their second son came in 1943. That's Billy Ray. Their third child and only daughter was named Betty Lou. She was born in 1945. And in 1947, the family had their fourth child, a boy named Alvia. And in 1949, their last child was named William Wayne. Goodness, those are some country names. Their family was nomadic for years, just how Ray grew up, just going place to place, town to town to work and steal and rip off livestock. The family was very poor, but Faye also worked at um, jobs like she worked at a factory for a while. And then in later years, she worked at a hotel. 
They did whatever to make ends meet. In an interview for Forensic Files, one of the Copeland children said that his family was so poor when growing up, they only owned school shoes. And so they would literally have to do some of their chores and tend to the animals and farm work barefoot. Ray Copeland was completely illiterate, meaning that he could not read, nor could he write. So they're kind of like poor country gypsies. However, eventually the family did settle down and Ray and Faye acquired the money to buy a 40-acre farm in Missouri. I don't know how they got the farm, but they got it, y'all, okay? I mean, they were still poor. The kids said that they were poor their entire lives, but eventually the kids grow up, they move out, they start their own lives. Ray becomes old, Faye becomes old, and they need help on their farm, so they have to start hiring drifters. Ray found these farmhands at homeless missions in town. They were transient people, typically. And basically, he'd go hunting for them at, like, homeless shelters and stuff. And he would offer people jobs. He would offer them free room and board on his farm, $50 a day for their work. So here's the deal. Like I said, farming, that's Ray's thing, right? Always done agricultural work, and now he has a 40-acre farm. Ray would have to go to cattle auctions that took place in Chillicothe to procure cattle. What he started doing is he would get these homeless people to come work for him, and then he'd give them a couple hundred dollars to help them get back up on their feet in order to open a bank account, typically. So he'd give them money so that they could deposit it into an account so they would have one. And then he would have them register their address at a P.O. box instead of at his actual house, even though he was giving them free room and board on his farm. Then he would use these drifters' checks in their names, not his, and he would write hot checks at the cattle auctions. And basically, Ray knew that the check would take a minute to clear, so he had enough time to get the cattle sold or butchered, and then the drifter could go on their way, and nobody would be able to find him. It is what it is. So this way, nobody knew that Ray was basically stealing cows, A lot of drifters and transients are wanted for petty crimes anyway. So Ray was like, it's the perfect con, right? So essentially, that's how Ray and Faye start getting by. The cattle of auction, of course, goes through their books, though, and they process checks from auctions and dole out the payments when they realize, you know, okay, we have this many hot checks. I'm sure this happens. Like, I'm sure people accidentally do this or purposefully do this so of course they always follow up look into where they're from okay well this one was from a drifter named Dennis Murphy in 1986 he was 27 and he was known to have worked at the Copelands around the same time that he'd written these bad checks Anytime this sort of thing happens, the auction house gets the sheriff involved so that they can find the person and press charges or collect the money. Typically, I'm sure people collect the money. The issue with the auction house finding the people is Dennis was not easy to locate somebody who travels around but they are able to narrow down the Dennis fellow because he'd been known to work on Ray Copeland's farm and so police start at the Copeland farm it's 1986 and a sheriff comes by and he wants to talk to Ray about this Dennis guy who wrote a hot check at the auction and he heard he was working for him well Ray said that he wasn't sure where Dennis went that Dennis was working for him but he unexpectedly left in the middle of the night Police told Ray that they were looking for Dennis because of bad checks. And Ray was like, yeah, you know what? He even wrote me a hot check and even showed the police a bad check supposedly Dennis wrote. 
So technically, the case started in 1986. Dennis was the first known victim. Listen to the story, okay? And then I bet you'll be thinking, there has to be more. Other drifters became connected to Ray's farm that had been writing hot checks to the auction house as well. And police would get calls about these hot checks, do some investigating, and then they would lead them to Ray Copeland. When police followed up about each man they were looking for, Ray's story stayed the same. Oh, well, they did work for me. I don't know. They left in the middle of the night, though. I don't know where to. You know how these drifters are. Of course, everyone figured out um, these drifters are buying the cattle for Ray to sell. But by the time the check bounces, Ray's already sold the cows, pocketed and kept all the money. So eight men become connected to Ray that are wanted for writing bad checks to the same cattle auctioners, right? And all are coincidentally farmhands on Ray's farm around the time that they wrote the checks and then they just vanish. And all eight of these men went missing just in three years, 1986 to 1989. I'd be lying if I didn't say I'm not curious how many times Ray really thought he could get away with this in just three years. My goodness. Police do not have much to go on until they get a call from a drifter named Jack McCormick that had previously worked on Ray's farm. Jack was calling from Nebraska to inform police he thought he saw a human skull and bones on the Copeland farm. Y'all, this guy's a wishy-washy, though. A lot of county officials band together and survey the property for possible burials or murder scenes. They brought cadaver dogs, track hose. They're digging holes everywhere. I mean, they are doing their damnedest. They are searching a 40-acre property, and they do so for nine days. But nothing's turning up. So police bring Jack, this informant, out to the Copeland property and ask him just to point in the general direction of where he saw the bones. And then Jack says, here we go, I didn't actually see any bones or body parts. When asked later, Jack, why did you tell that story and then take it back? Jack maintained that he recanted the story out of fear that Ray would kill him. So he just... He told police they were there, and he did know they were there, but he was afraid to tell them where, supposedly. But despite Jack admitting that he'd lied, police couldn't deny that they had something weird going on with this Ray guy. I mean, eight drifters who had written bad checks at the auction house while working for Ray, and then just all take off in the middle of the night. Hmm. So police do some digging into Ray's background, and they saw that 20 years prior to this, Ray had been arrested several times for writing bad checks. In fact... When interviewed, Ray's son, Al, he said about every 16 or 18 months, he remembered police would be shown out at their house to arrest Ray for writing hot checks, and then Faye would have to come bail him out of jail. So this is like a pattern of behavior. So police catch wind that Ray had been working on a couple other local farms from time to time to earn extra money. And Ray was just doing normal stuff around the farms around the time that some of these men went missing. And when they searched a nearby farm where Ray had been storing bells of hay, the investigators moved the hay and they found three decomposing bodies lined up in a shallow grave. All were men that had been wrapped in blankets and looked to have been dead nearly three years. 
This is in 1989, so three years after the investigation started. The dirt was a clay-type soil inside of a barn, so the bodies had been more preserved than you see in, like, an outdoor setting. They all clearly died by a gunshot wound to their head. Police do not know who these men are, and it's hard to find out. Y'all, wait up. On this farm, the same three bodies were. Another barn was used to store hay. Dang, so this is probably a pretty big farm because these are big barns, you guys. And police decided to move all the hay and search that barn too. Under one of the floorboards was another body. Whose body? Don't know. Can't tell just by looking because it had been down there so long. And finding out was going to take a little bit of time. So six weeks go by and police are continuing their search efforts and they find another body and this body is in a nearby well investigators immediately noticed the body they found was wearing a belt that read dennis police assume this is dennis murphy the missing man with the hot checks that sparked the investigation to begin with but of course they're not completely sure by the way who the hell puts a body in a well that is so rude don't people get like water from wells and stuff i mean someone somewhere is getting that water don't be a dick. Faye actually in later years did an interview and she maintained she did not know why Ray would do such a thing because according to her, they didn't owe any money on anything. Not on their vehicles, machinery, farm equipment, nothing. Um, Faye, because he was stealing money and killing drifters. But I mean, j- correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> All right. So at this point, we have recovered five bodies police go back to jack the original drifter who called from nebraska which by the way jack didn't just call the police directly himself um it was five months after jack fled the copeland farm in 1986 that he called a crime stoppers tip line and he said ray copeland was running a check scam See, Ray had given Jack some money to open up a bank account and told Jack to use a P.O. box for an address instead of the Copeland farm address. During cattle auctions, Ray would signal to Jack which cows to bid on, and then Jack would pay for the cows with a check. They cleared at first, and they did this a few times, and then Ray would have him write larger checks that Ray knew were not going to clear. But they'd built up the trust and repeated the system enough at the auction house that they didn't think it was going to be a hot check and the check wasn't questioned until it was too late. But at that point, it didn't matter because the cows that bought by Jack's check, Ray had already turned around and sold and pocketed the money. So after the big check's written, the one that isn't going to clear, Ray goes and gets Jack one night and tells him that there's a raccoon in a hole in the barn and he needed his help getting it out. Ray had a gun. It was a 22. And he said, okay, Jack, you get in the hole and spook the raccoon with this stick to come out of the hole and then I'll shoot it. But Jack had a really, really weird feeling. So he would not take his eyes off of Ray. But for one split second, he did. And as soon as he shot his head back and looked at Ray, Ray was pointing the gun at Jack. So Jack jumped back, like popped up. And he's like, what is going on? And immediately knew something was wrong. And he convinced Ray to let him go and promised that he would just leave and never come back. And so Ray agreed and let him go. So with that information, 
even though it dated back to a couple years ago, not only did they find a 22 caliber rifle, the one Jack described Ray had pointed to him and the correct weapon used to kill the five bodies recovered, police also found a whole bunch of men's clothing and personal belongings that clearly did not belong to Ray or Faye. They were various size clothes, shoes, suitcases, and things like that that looked to belong to the men that were missing. None of it would even fit Ray or Faye. The police also found a list of eight men who'd worked on the Copeland farm, and some of the names had the word back written next to them, as in B-A-C-K. Four of the names had an X marks next to them, and the four names with an X were men wanted in Missouri specifically for writing bad checks. And by the way, this list was hidden in a camera case. So at this point, police are still waiting to find out who the men were that had been buried. So they have to get a forensic examiner who's an expert in making dental record composites and charts for each individual school to try to match their identity. That is how they were going to compare these people. And it was very hard to do because most drifters do not seek regular dental treatment. So many of the dental records he had from the list of men working on the Copeland farm were very, very old. And it was a very painstaking task for the medical examiner. I mean, some of their dental records were over 30 years old and they'd had several teeth and they'd had several teeth missing since then, plus developing. I mean, some of their teeth had shifted a lot. And so he had to analyze how they could get to which stage they were at to figure out which men was which, and or if any of them were even on the list, or if these were different victims. However, he does get it done. The gentleman found in the well with the belt buckle was in fact the same dentist that had worked on Ray's farm and the police were looking for. The other remains also were missing men they were looking for that wrote hot checks that had lived on Ray's farm, and that was Wayne Warner, Paul Cowart, Jimmy Dale Harvey, Jimmy Dale Harvey, John Freeman. Paul, Jimmy, and John were three of the four names with an X marks next to them that were on that hidden paper in Ray's camera case. And the cause of death for all the men was a small caliber gunshot wound to the head at close range from a 22 caliber rifle, most likely. The bullet and fragments were still in the skull, and a ballistic test confirmed the grooves left on the bullets and the skulls matched the grooves on Ray's 22 caliber rifle, and this made it an exact match. With all this forensic evidence, police arrest both Ray and Faye Copeland, and they were old, you guys. I mean, Faye was 69, and Ray was 76 when they were arrested. Everyone seemed pretty shocked that Faye had been arrested also because, you know, Faye still maintained that she had no idea what Ray had been up to. That list police found, though, in the camera case with the men's names. Well, Ray was illiterate. He could not have written it. And police collected a letter that Faye wrote after they'd been arrested. And it was a match to whomever wrote the list of men police found. Therefore... They thought, okay, well, if Faye made this list and put those exes of men who'd been killed and such, she must have known. Faye still, like I said, denied any knowledge, and her defense without her husband was, like, really controlling and dominating. Ray was head of the house, and Faye had no 
ability to speak up or interfere with anything Ray planned or did or he'd smack her up real good. This is according to the family. No one outside of the Copeland home knew of Ray's mean streak, but apparently Ray did have a violent temper in his home, just not on his public record. Ray was a heavy-handed man with a bad temper. If you upset him, he would bang you up pretty good. Their son Al said that his dad hit one of his brothers once with a frying pan because he didn't like the sound the boy was making when he was scraping his spoon across his bowl. Oh, Al said in an interview for Forensic Files that his dad, Ray, once beat him with a pair of cow kickers and it was over him spilling some milk or something. And things like that happened all the time growing up. Both Ray and Faye, though, are tried separately. And the prosecutor's theory was that Ray looked to hire transient people from homeless shelters, give them a free room and board, have them set up a P.O. box, and then, of course, use their account and promise to pay them $50 a day for labor. He then prompted them to write hot checks for him from their own bank accounts, take the cows, sell them, pocket the money, and then when their guard was down, he would kill the men. Ray is found guilty of all five counts of murder, and he gets the death penalty. Ray's son, Al, believes that he very much deserved the punishment. Faye's defense was basically that she was a beaten and battered woman who just followed orders and did as Ray said out of fear and training from past abuse. They wanted to put an expert on the stand to testify about battered wives syndrome and how they believed Faye suffered from it, but the judge refused the expert testimony. The prosecution, though, argued really hard about the list of men in Faye's handwriting and the X's right next to the names that had bounced checks that were now found deceased. I think this is the evidence the prosecution really, really leaned into heavily for her case. Now, Faye's son thinks his mom had an idea about the cattle scamming, and she likely knew Ray was ripping these people off to procure these cows one way or another. But most people don't think she actually knew Ray was murdering the men. Um, however, nobody really knows, right? So Faye is also found guilty of all five counts of murder. And she is sentenced to death for four of them and life for one of them. Which really, I can't, I was really shocked that she was sentenced to death. I don't know why. I just, I just was. Ray ultimately died in prison, though, in 1993, and in 1999, Faye's sentence was actually commuted to life in prison, which seems, all right, that's fair. That's fair, I guess. I, th I think it's much, but it's fair. Faye was the oldest woman on death row before her sentence was commuted. When Faye was 82, though, she got a medical release from prison after she had a stroke in 2002 that left her partially paralyzed and unable to speak. She went to go live in a Missouri nursing home where she died. The other three men on the list that were believed to be victims of the Copelands, even though their remains were never recovered, are Thomas Park, Franklin Hudson, Dale Brake, and they are still technically missing. All in all, I'm surprised at the rate and frequency of the Copelands' crimes. I don't know how long they actually thought they could get away with doing the same thing over and over in a small town like that insane anyway guys thank you so much for tuning in and i'll talk to you next week bye